Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. You guys have lucked out today. You know that, right? Not going to be able to do a full sermon. God is surely with you this day, friends. <laughs> so we're going to jump right into this today. We've been looking at the book of Romans, and if you're coming in saying, wow, you're doing the book of Romans, so we are doing this in an expository fashion. We're going verse by verse. It's not that other kinds of ways of doing sermons aren't good, but we really want to just build on. Romans is one of those books that builds up things. It's personal, it's practical, and it's doctrinal, as we're going to see again today. And we've been talking here as we get into Romans chapter 8 about the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look just briefly at a few verses again today. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The idea of adoption is a powerful one in Scripture. The idea of, of family, whether you're a part of an adopted family or whether you're a biological kid. I talked a couple weeks ago and brought in and shared the, the dress that my mom was adopted in from a rescue mission in West Virginia. And it doesn't matter how you become part of a family. When you're family, you're family. I remember uh, well, a year or so ago, we were kayaking and we got caught in a whirlpool and we all got dumped and smashed and my daughter went under in this whirlpool. And it, this was not just like, oh no, this was like catastrophic. It seemed cataclysmic at the time. And I didn't see her come back up and I freaked out. And I'm yelling for her and it turned out she'd gone on the other side of a bridge and I couldn't see her and I was terrified. I said, Katie, Katie, where are you? Because I was so afraid that something had happened to her. See, we love kids. Those of you that have graduates, you understand. You look at this and you think, oh my gosh, you have a, a sea of emotions, a flurry of things going on inside because you love your kids as they get older and enter into a different chapter, a different stage of life. There's stress, there's fear, there's excitement, there's joy, there's this flurry of emotions. And for us spiritually, it's much the same because it's hard for us to know how we connect sometimes in family. As we get older, we try to figure out how does this relationship work? It's a little different. I'm, I'm still a kid, but I'm, I'm part of the family, but I'm, I'm not exactly who I was, but I'm still kind of always who I was. And how does this all work? And in God's family, we see here in the book of Romans, the idea of adoption is something powerful. For us as Christians, as we looked at the book of Romans, the idea that God loves us, no matter how stinky we are, no matter how much we sin, that God's grace, God's love for us does not change. That's sometimes hard for us to wrap our hearts and our minds around it. That God would love us, that God would love me and call me to belong to him, even when I struggle to obey what Scripture commands, what Scripture teaches. Though in my heart, as God's Spirit enters into me, I want to, as we've talked about, I want to obey God, I struggle a lot of times, and perhaps you do too, with the execution. And just like parents watch their kids stumble and figure things out and grow and change, this idea of adoption even enters in because it's a different difficulty. We have families here in our church that have adopted children. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. 
being that I had a mom that's adopted, I'm very thankful because if it wasn't for adoption, if it wasn't for Christian families that decide to be pro-life, these things wouldn't happen and we wouldn't have families like mine. So I'm very thankful for that. And the idea of adoption, you think about it with my own mother and talking with her over the years, think about the idea that everything changes in your life. You're in one context and suddenly you're put into a family in a new one. Think about how much adjustment. Talk to some of our families here. They can tell you what this is like. Walking through friends and family as they've done this, adoption is a powerful thing. And it's hard because you're in a whole new place. You have to learn how to be who you are in a new context, how you interact, how you deal with the changes. Maybe there's a language barrier. Some of our kids have dealt with that. Maybe it's just a cultural barrier. There's all kinds of things that you have to figure out. Adoption is something that changes us, but yet as God adopts us and as we change and adapt to being part of his family, we see that a parent's love can help a child overcome anything. And we're going to talk a little bit about this this morning, this idea of adoption. And here, especially the idea that it is a doctrine that is taught in Scripture. For us as Presbyterians, this is especially helpful because we are a confessional people. For us in the EPC, the Westminster Confession of Faith is our confessional standard. And it's a structured, systematic, and organized way. We've talked about this for the last several weeks where you can know God's Word. If you go to epc.org and click on the little tab that says Resources, you can download a copy of it in the modern English. It's not in the 1600s English, but in modern. And it has systematic questions and answers where we understand the whole of God's Word. And there's Scripture tied to those. So when it says something, you can say, well, where's that from? And the Scripture is right there. It's really powerful. And we're doing this in a simplified way. Dr. Tim Keller's and Kathy Keller's, we're using the New City Catechism, as we talked about. And I told you guys, you can download that app for free. And something we've always done as Reformed people is to catechize our kids. And as you heard the kids up here at Easter time, they've gone through that New City Catechism, and they've learned a lot of those questions and answers. And they, man, they know their stuff. Parents, you better keep up. They're good. They know their stuff. But these questions and answers, so if we go in the Westminster Catechism, we used to learn the shorter catechism to join the Presbyterian Church. But there is the shorter and the larger, and there's these questions and answers. So if you look at question 74 here, this doctrinal, spiritual idea of adoption is spelled out for us. Adoption is an act of the free grace of God in and for His only Son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified, and that's Christ on the cross as we talked about at Easter, all that are justified are received into the number of His children, have His name put upon them, the Spirit of His Son given to them, are under his fatherly care in dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises, and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. Now, can you guess one of the scriptures that they use for this? It's our scripture this morning. This idea that you get all the privileges. When you're a part of a family, you receive a new name. Now, I shared even a couple weeks ago, my mom, when she was adopted, she received a completely different name. She had a different name. Her name was Geraldine Adams, and they changed her name. Her name was then Marcia Stanley. She had a whole different, Marcia Miller, then she got married later, but her, she had a whole different name. We see this in Scripture. Our fantastic looking at the Old Testament. We're talking about the story of Jacob, and next week in there, we're going to see that he gets a new name, Israel. He is given a new name. God changes our identity. We have a new identity. We're still fundamentally who we are, warts and all, and in our sinfulness, 
But yet, when God adopts us into his family, we have new standing. We are seen as Christ is seen. This doctrine of adoption is powerful because we understand what it means to be a part of a family. Being a part of a family is a great thing. For me in my own life, to understand this idea of adoption and having a new life, I think about family. I have a sister. She's 11 and a half years older than me. So I have family, but I was kind of like an only child in some ways. Like when my sister moved out and I got her cool bedroom, like I was so pumped. Because she had the coolest bedroom and it was up in the attic and it was like sweet. And I remember like just as we sold my mom's house a couple weeks ago, I remember walking through the room and going, I'm going to miss this room. This was the coolest room to have as a teenager. But you know, when you have all those privileges, all those rights, you also have all those responsibilities. And if you're an only child, maybe you had friends or you know, had a bunch of siblings and big families. And there's some cool things that come with that, too. And if you had a lot of siblings, you probably wanted to be an only child because you wanted to punch your siblings. That may, I don't know how that was for you, but you know what I mean? So for me, I always thought it was okay. Like, you know, I got to have my own way. I was kind of like, you know, I had a sister, and she, you know, we had Sunday dinner or whatever, and we hung out, and she had a job and her own place to live. And, you know, and we talk, and it's great and all that. But then I went to my friend's house, and I realized how gypped I was. Yeah, they have all the drama and the static, but the chores get divided up. <laughs> I'm like, this sucks. Like, you have three of you to do what I'm doing by myself. You see, at my house growing up, I was, let's see, I was the winter, wa- I was the winter walkway safety technician. I was the aquatic detailing specialist, and I was the outdoor biosphere chief architect. Now, what that translates as, for the, if, you, if you're not catching me, I had to shovel all the walks and all the driveways all the time. And I had a dad that was handicapped, so I had to make sure those were always good. I, uh, we had a pool when I got older. And so when my dad didn't feel like cleaning it or he was traveling for business, guess what? I had to do that. I was the aquatic uh, detailing technician. And my other job was I did all the mulching, all the pruning, all the, you know, the mowing, weeding, all that stuff. I did all that as well. Uh, whenever we sold my mom's house, the guy said, uh, he hadn't thought about this, he said, how much mulch does this property take? And I said, oh, only like 55 or 60 yards. And the guy looked at me, I said, yeah, you're going to have to get a dump truck for that, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, you do that and you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. If there's one thing you do in hell, I'm pretty sure it's either drywalling or mulching. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> Right, but whenever I did that, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, all the work. But in the kingdom of God, in the family of God that we're adopted into, it is more fun. There is relationship. Yeah, there's tension, and yeah, there's frustration because we don't do it all. But as we read today, we're welcomed, we're admitted, we're apart, we're loved, we get all the responsibilities, we get the name, we get all the duties, though, and all of the callings that God places, like the Great Commission. You even heard Gail sharing about our Naomi circle and how they're going to try to do things. We need to go outside and share the gospel. People in our country don't know what Christianity is. In about 15 years, half the people that are attending church now will be attending church then if the trends we see in the church continue. So as we enter into the church, as we enter into this adoption, we want to serve and give and share what Christ has done for us. And we see this idea in verse 14 of adoption. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This spiritual adoption changes us in our hearts and in our, in our desires. We want to be obedient. We want to be a part of God's family. And as we're welcomed into that family, God says, I adopted you. So if I'm bad, whether I'm a biological child or an adopted child, parents don't unadopt you. That's important for us. That's a good thing to remember. 
Because sometimes I think, and I know friends that have been adopted, they're afraid of that for a while. And the idea that you're in a forever family, it's an adjustment. And God's family is not just forever, forever here. It's eternally forever. And when you're welcomed in, God says, I chose you. I adopted you. You're seen as I see Christ. I got my arms wrapped around you. I'm not going to let you go. That's a spiritual change in our hearts and in our lives that brought about our adoption. And the idea here, it says sonship. And we say sons and daughters. Now, why does it say that? Quite simply, in that culture, women were not treated well. You guys know that. And so to be the son, let alone the firstborn son in our Naomi circle, or I'm sorry, fantastic people are going, ah, I remember this because we were just talking about Jacob and Esau being the firstborn. If you remember this parable of the two sons, the idea of being the firstborn, you got the lion's share, you got the best, you were in charge, and the other siblings were kind of like your your henchmen, your lackeys. They kind of had to listen to you and answer to you a little bit. So this idea of sonship, that's there for a reason. It's there to culturally, God's saying, remember, in Romans, they've already said there's no male nor female. It doesn't matter if you were born a Jew or born outside of the Jewish covenant. That doesn't matter. You are in Christ or you're not in Christ. And that is the only distinction that matters. So what Paul's saying here is you are all like the firstborn child. You get the best of everything. You are welcomed in. You are adorned. You think of this parable of the two sons. Bring the best of everything. Give it to that kid. That's how God treats all of us. So if you're a woman in the Roman church, you think, this is too good to be true. That's the world that they lived in in that day. I know it's different in our world today. But this idea that we're welcomed and that we're loved, for us today, we spiritually don't feel up to this, this spiritual welcome, because we know we're sinners. We know we're kind of messed up. But God says, no, no, no. It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's Jesus Christ. And so you're a part of this. And when we're convicted of our sins, that's a good thing. It means God's Spirit's at work in us. But yet God says, no, no, don't get caught up on that. You are loved. You are received. You are adopted to sonship. And you are in a personal, deep relationship. This word there, Abba, Father, Daddy, Think about that idea of that being a daddy. Now, my dad worked at the bank in my little town in Western PA, and to most people, he was Mr. Stanley. And when someone would meet me, they'd say, oh, that's Mr. Stanley's son. Mr. Stanley, he, he helps run the bank. Mr. Stanley, he helped me when I was in, he was, I was in a tough spot. He, and people, my dad would do a lot of things to help people, like if they were having a problem with their finances, he would sit and spend time with them. And my dad was a great guy. I'm sorry you guys didn't get to know him. He was an awesome guy. And he taught me what it meant to serve people for nothing that you got but all that you gave because that's what Christ calls us to do. And people would always say, oh, I love Mr. Stanley. Mr. Stanley, he used to run the Lions Club or the Kiwanis or the JCs or what." I'd be like, yeah, that's my dad. But I never called my dad Mr. Stanley. I never called him Bob, though that was his name. I did call him Sir. A lot. Yes, Sir. Till the day he died. And yes, ma'am, to my mother, because they're from the South, and that's how you roll. But I also called him dad and daddy. I had that relationship. Only my sister Kathy and I can do that. He was our daddy, and my mom was mom. For my kids, they call Mandy mum-mum when she was little, mum-mum. That was Robert's first mum-mum-mum-mum. That's all he said. That's all he said. No, no daddy. I don't know what I did, but... But anyhow, you have that intimacy, whether you're adopted into a family or you're born to it. When that's your parent, you call them, you have a name that you use that's an intimate name. And when that 
person is seen by God, when we are seen by God, when we're part of that family, we are an heir to the kingdom. We are the firstborn. We get all of that. And that's what we need to remember this day. And what it means to know that we are part of the family of God, that we have that personal relationship to God, even when we don't feel like it. This idea of being an heir, there's a few things here very quickly we're going to look at. First of all, the idea that we're being led by the Spirit. And we've talked about this in the past couple weeks, so I'm not going to really dwell on that, but we are able to overcome sin by the Spirit's aid. And as a part of the body of Christ, we work together to lift each other up. We are no longer slaves to our sin, and we don't live in fear because we know that God's adopted us. He's not going to let go of us. Fear is something that comes from the devil. When God loves you, I love my kids that if they ever did something wrong, I'm not going to unadopt them. I'm not going to, you know, let go of them. Whether they're adopted kids, whether they're biological kids, I'm not going to throw my kids out and say, you know, I may, if my kids do something I don't love, if Manny isn't loving, we may say, hey, you're not obeying God's word. You're not being led by God's spirit because God's spirit and God's word always line up together. And if God says it's good, it's good. And if he says it's bad, it's going to hurt you. If you live a life that's not according to God's word, it's going to hurt you. I don't want that for you because I'm your dad and I love you. And so God's going to say, hey, I want you to, my spirit dwells to guide you. It's going to lead you into all truth, into God's word. And we're led by the spirit. We want to understand what that means. So how does the Holy Spirit guide us? How does the Holy Spirit guide us? What are the indicators we have that we are in a spirit-filled life? Well, that first one I already alluded to is transformed biblical thinking. The Spirit transforms our thinking to line up with God's Word. When people tell me they don't really need to go know God's Word or go to church, I'll be honest, I don't know what to say. Because if you know God, you want to spend time with God. If you are part of a family, if you have that relationship, if you understand God's love and His adoration that He is never going to let you go, don't you want to be a part of a relationship? It's like being a part of a family and saying, man, I love my family, but I don't like to ever go see them. I don't like to spend Christmas with them. We don't ever do anything together. I don't ever call them on the phone. They're the greatest people ever, but I don't really want to know. I don't want to know what's going on with them. I don't, know, I don't want to know what they think. But that's what happens sometimes. Christians, I don't really need to know God's word. Well, if God's word is life and God is love and he loves you, yeah, you definitely need more of that. And God's spirit promises that he will make the word understandable to us, that we are, we are able. Christians say, well, we don't really know what God says. Yes, we do. And you have spiritual discernment to know the word of God and to be convicted if you allow yourself to be sensitive to that. Romans 12, 2, we'll get to this in a few weeks. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind broken by sin can be renewed by God's spirit. You can know. You can test and approve what God's will is. You can know what God desires. Christians, we need to understand that we are able to do that. And not only just in our minds, but in our hearts. And people, when they're not excited about their faith. We had a meeting recently, and I'll tell you. Y'all are excited about your Cleveland Browns. It's June, people. Oh, we're going to beat someone here. I'm not going to point it out. I have a bet with someone here from a committee meeting on, uh, you know, we just, it was a dollar game. This person bet me the Browns are going to take the Steelers out twice this year. And I said, I'll take that bet. I'll take it. But you, that's okay. I'm glad you're passionate. I like, I, as a fan of sports, I'm like, wow, this is great. I like that. It's great. 
But if we can get passionate about that kind of stuff, and the Indians, I saw a shirt, you know, believe Indians, we're going we're gonna to get together. <laughs> That's usually the pirate's motto, just so you know. Well, we'll get it next year. But, you know, think about it. If we have passions for those kinds of things, we have passions for our kids and their activities, and we're proud of them, we should have passions for what God desires. All the way back in the book of Ezekiel, God says, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit in you. This is a promise that's fulfilled as Christ tells us the spirit comes. The heart of stone, that sin is hardened. That scabbing around the heart and we get a new beating heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive to what God desires. So not just in our minds, but in our hearts. And then the seed of our will, we talked about this a little bit last week, where God mixes all that up and only by God's spirit does it rise up and become something new. A new will, a new desire, a way that we would understand how it is that we know what God desires. Look what it says here in Philippians chapter 2. The name of Jesus, we have this idea that God is our Lord. Every tongue will acknowledge someday that he is the glory of God. We say that sometimes during our prayer. You guys see it, that's from the Bible. I don't just say that to sound cool. But it says, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not just when Paul saw them, but when he's not there, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When you have a sensitivity in God's spirits in you, you want to be obedient. And when you're not sure, you go to God's word, you go to other people, you have that heart and that mind, that passion, that desire to think and know and feel what God desires. And that brings about a change in what you decide to do in your will. God says he's going to be near us. He's going to, do, he's going to be a part of us. From the very beginning, God says this. We have the tetragamum. Tetragrammum. I can never, dang it, I can never say that word right. Four-letter word, only one you should ever say. Lots of four-letter words are bad, right? Tetragrammaton. There it is. Got it. Sorry, guys. Okay. This is the name of God given to us in Scripture. The kids are just learning about Moses now. They're just starting that. And so when Moses appears, or God appears to Moses in the burning bush, he says, hey, I want you to go and do this. And Moses says, how am I supposed to know who? To tell him who sent me. And he says, here's my name. My name is I Am. And we get these four consonants in Hebrew, Yohevahe, from which we get the word Yahweh, Yahweh. In the KJV, they do Jehovah. That's actually wrong, KJV people, sorry. The word there is Yahweh. God says, this is my personal name. You know my name. You know my name. And as time goes on, he says, I'm the God of Abraham. And then I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I am the God of your forefathers. I'm the God that was with David. And when Christ comes, he says, yeah, that God, he's my daddy. Not only have you known about God, not only has God appeared and guided you as a, a pillar of cloud and fire, as a burning bush, as a God that gave you the Ten Commandments as our kids are learning about. He says, no, 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 not only that, he's the God that's personal, where he sends his own son. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you know the Father. God is always a personal God. He's always a family God. He's the God who is known. He's the God who is known to us. He's the God that calls us to be directly connected to him. He's the God that reveals more to us. He says, I am. And Jesus comes and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And the Pharisees say, hold on a minute. Jesus says, no, because the Father and I are one. 
He says they're one. And he says, I'm going to send the Spirit, the third person, the God to dwell in you. And you and the Father will be one. You'll be co-heirs. You'll be family. When God sees you, he sees me. He says God's Spirit will come to dwell in you. If you're a parent, you want to give your kids good gifts. You're not going to give them something they don't want. How much more will your Heavenly Father give His Spirit the good gift to guide and renew our minds, to change our hearts, to change our lives? How much more will God's Spirit dwell in us to know that we are adopted, we are accepted, we are loved? Parents who just celebrate with your kids this day, graduates, you need to remember this. God wants to guide you. He wants to lead you into what He has for you. In fact, He's giving you everything you need to have a life successfully devoted to Him. If you will trust him and go where he goes and be obedient to his word. He has adopted you. He loves you, and he's never going to let you go. My kids, I would do anything for my kids. I would die for my kids. I would give up anything for my kids. And moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas out there, I know you feel the same way. How much more does God have to do to prove that he has that love for us, that he has adopted us, that he has made us his own, that he's never, ever going to let us go. That's good news for us as we seek to be obedient. That's good news for us in every single part of our lives. What's that mean for us this day? He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He may not be happy with the decisions he makes, especially in like a parent. He said, here's the way to life, and you're choosing this, and this is death. But he will always always love you. You get all the rights, all the privileges of being a part of the family of God. And when you're part of a family, there's a devotion, there's a connection, there's a desire, there is a relationship that we want to change the way we live, we walk, we talk, we serve, and we share, and even the way that we sacrifice. So today, this is really about the gospel, that God is for you, that he loves you, that he's never ever going to let you go. And so the question is, what are you going to do with that sonship? You're a part of the family of God. If you haven't given your life to Christ today, come talk to me. I want to be a part of you knowing that adoption. If you didn't have an earthly family where you felt like that was okay, I want you to know there is a father that loves you and he accepts you just the way you are, that we are children, that we are heirs. And because of that, we don't have a spirit of fear. We know that we are loved we are adopted, and that God isn't through with us. He's going to change us to make us more the way he desires us to be. So if you feel like, I'm not good enough, and I've got this going on, and I feel this way, God says, that's okay. I love you, and I'm going to walk alongside of you, and we're going to work together on this. I love what Dr. Tim Keller says. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. Friends, how do we live, love, give, and serve? How do we think of Christ more and ourselves less? knowing that we are adopted, that we are loved, that we are part of the family of God. Let's pray. Father, that you would guide us, that you would reveal to us more, that we would think about how we are changed in our wills, in our passions, in our minds, in our thinking, 
by belonging to you completely. That we would understand what it means that you indeed are our Lord, that you're the creator God of the universe, and yet we can call you Daddy. That we have an intimate relationship. That we have that in Jesus Christ, and it'll never, ever be taken away. God, for our graduates, that you would bless them, that they know they're always welcome at home and that their families love them, but how much more that you are always with them, that you will give them good gifts, that your spirit is the greatest gift, that you dwell with them, that you uphold them, that you'll walk alongside them, that you will lead them into truth, into blessing, into goodness. God, not that there won't be hard times, but when they come, that you will be with them, that you will show them how to be successful parents, how they'll be successful mom or dad or husband or wife, that they'll be a successful part of the body of Christ, a good friend, that they'll be able to do all things to give you glory as a part of the family of God, loved and accepted by their daddy. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm.